Welcome to the Life Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us for another hope-filled message. We pray that you're encouraged by this powerful word from our Sunday service. I want to uh, capitalise upon this moment right here, right now, as we jump into the second part of our series called Counterculture. Pastor Dan kicked us off a couple of weeks ago in a very fitting way, which was amazing. And I'd encourage any of you who have not heard part one of having your faith tested in trials, uh, that would be a good one for you to listen to. If you're going through a trial, if you're going through a tough time, if you're facing something right now you don't understand, get a hold of that message. It really will minister to your spirit. And uh, I want to continue that theme today. But in order for us to fully understand this particular series, we need to know that None of us are born with a culture. Rather, we are born into a culture. The series title is Counter Culture. But in order for us to truly understand what that means, we need to know that we are not born with a culture. We are born into a culture. For example, I was born in Australia, but I was born into an English culture. Why? Because my mum and dad were both born in England and they immigrated in 1962 and they settled here in Adelaide. But in the home, the Rainbow household, it was very English to say the least. I know that because I grew up from the age of about 18 months drinking tea. Tea is my drink of choice. I love tea and it better be in a nice fine china cup. It can't be in a plastic cup. It can't be in a paper cup. It can't be in a mug. You've got to have tea in a thin china cup with a thin lip. And when you make that cup of tea, this is what I was told growing up, that you have to warm the pot first. Then you have to put the tea in. One, two, two and a half teaspoons of tea. And then you bring the kettle to the pot, you pour it in, you stir it, you wait two and a half minutes, one minute for each two and a half teaspoons. And then you pour and you have a little bit of heaven on earth. <laughs> At least in our house, that, that, that is how I grew up. It's very English drinking tea from a, such a young age. We grew up loving Yorkshire pudding. Yorkshire pudding is my dessert of choice. It's my side of choice. It's my choice above anything else. It was just, Yorkshire pudding was it and a bit for us as a family. All this describes our culture, which isn't right or wrong. It's just very English. And of course, we love Monty Python comedy. There's nothing quite like Monty Python comedy. That's, that's what we grew up with. We grew up with all the old English Comedies, and I know I've set some of you off right now. You're thinking on the buses, you're thinking the two Ronnies, you're thinking all those things. Are there any here who have an English culture, an English background, who know what I'm on about? Some of you will, because some of you are part of that culture. But others of you are thinking, what is he on about? Because you are from a different culture, which proves my point. If I was born into an Indian culture, my likes and preferences would probably be a little bit different than what they are today. If I was born into a Brazilian culture, I imagine I would be cheering Brazil on in the World Cup right now. And I wouldn't be giving England much time at all. God bless Australia, they're doing really, really well. We're believing they're gonna get to the final 16, that'd be awesome. 
But let's be honest, if I was from a Brazil family, I would have a far higher chance of my team winning the World Cup. <laughs> and all part of that is culture. You're not born with a culture. You're born in a culture. In other words, I didn't come out of the womb saying, I want Yorkshire pudding. Forget this milk stuff. I want Yorkshire pudding. No, I was groomed. I was conditioned to like certain things. And so were you and so were you. Each and every person on the planet today has a culture, not by choice, sorry, not by uh, design, but by choice and by default. We all come to think like the environment we grow up in. We are shaped in influences by the language, the values, the laws, the morals of our parents, the community and the society that we grew up in. And that's why you'll get some six-year-olds who are very opinionated about politics and in particular, what our present Prime Minister is doing. They're six years of age and they've got all these opinions about global warming and they've got all these opinions about who's right and who's wrong. And, and I don't think that guy should have got elected. And they've got opinions about uh, Daniel Andrews in Victoria being re-elected and they're disgusted and others are happy. I'm like, kid, you're six years old. Just play in the dirt. That is not normal for a young six-year-old to be so opinionated about those things. But it tells me something about the culture in which they grew up in. Are you with me this morning? And so it is. If that is true when we are born, that we are born into a culture, when we are born again, guess what? We are born again into another culture. The Bible calls it a kingdom culture. We are born into our earthly culture, but we are born again into a kingdom culture. And the earthly culture in which you were born into will be quite different than the kingdom culture that we were born again into. And this is where the challenge for us really begins. Why? Because after living life a certain way, Now we are forced to live life another way. The Bible calls it a new and living way. And that sounds great when you sing it in a song. It's a new and living way, walk ye in it. That's what we used to sing. It was amazing. But I found it was a lot easier to sing it than to live it. This new living way that we sing about that sounds so cool, it's hard. Because I've been conditioned. I like doing certain things and I like doing them a certain way and I like doing them in my own time. And now this new kingdom that we're a part of is a challenge to me. Am I talking to anyone here this morning? Maybe online you can identify with this. This is where the challenge begins. That we are speaking, that we have been thinking and acting a certain way. And now in this new culture, we are challenged and encouraged Sunday by Sunday, connect group by connect group, Bible reading by Bible reading, to adopt a new way of thinking, a new way of living, a new way of talking, a new way of acting. God loves you as you are, but He loves us too much to leave us as we are. He wants better for us. Are you with me this morning? 
And that's where we have what I call a clash of cultures. This tea drinking, Yorkshire pudding eating, Monty Python watching kid comes into a new kingdom and I have to think differently. I have to act differently. And that's the clash for me. And it continues to be a clash. And maybe I'm in good company when I say that. And hopefully as we spell it out today, we'll understand where the battle really is. And the battle for us is won or lost in the mind. The battle for us, the battle for this culture, the clash of this culture is won ultimately in the mind. The Bible says it this way, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As a woman thinks in her heart, so is she. What you think about what God says is more important than what God says. Because what you think God says will be what you act on more than what God actually said. So how we interpret and how we translate Scripture is really important if we are to be citizens of heaven here on earth. Are you with me this morning? Because let's be honest, you and I have this battle. And, And for me, the battle is this, but I've always done it that way. For me, it's, but I like doing it this way. You ever been challenged by someone, and, but, but you don't understand. I just like doing it this way. And that's okay if it comes to how you make your bed. That's okay if it comes to how you put the toilet paper on the toilet roll. At the end of the day, that doesn't really matter. If you put it uh, over or under, it's not a kingdom issue. You can, you can continue to do that. But on bigger things, it matters. What about this one? Yeah, but... Everybody does it. Have you ever these battles going on in your head? You hear a message about being generous. You hear a message about tithing. And you say, no, who does that? Everyone else just lives for themselves. Yeah, they do. But we are part of a new kingdom. We are kingdom citizens here on earth. We live by a different standard. What about this one? But we don't like those people. Those people. When I went to high school, I caught two buses because the high school I went to wasn't our local high school. It was in the middle of the city in Adelaide High. And Adelaide High was a very multiracial school. And I was 12 years of age when I got on that bus for the first time and went to Adelaide High School. And because I grew up in Para Hills and all my friends went to the local high school, I had to forge new friendships. And I love meeting people and I love meeting new friends, so that wasn't a problem. But my three new friends were Fuli from Vietnam, Tony Quagliata, fresh off the boat from Italy, and Jim Papadopoulos from Greece. And I just enjoyed them because to me they were people. And I adopted them as my friends. I didn't know I weren't meant to like those people. And it took me to year 10 when someone said, hey, you shouldn't hang around them. And I said, what what do you mean? They said, because they are those people. You shouldn't hang around those people. I said, explain what those people mean. I didn't didn't get it. I still don't get it. To this day, I still don't get it. People are people, no matter what colour, race, 
nationality. But in that, there was, a, there, was a, there was an innocence and a naivety and we used to tease each other. And it wasn't deemed as racist because there was no racism. We were just having fun. And let's be honest, the, the closer you are with someone, the more banter you can have. It's, it's, it's a term of endearment. And so we used to tease each other about the nationality with no racism whatsoever because we actually loved each other and we even liked each other. And wouldn't it be great to get back to some of those days? But we never will while we consider people those people. Yeah. There will always be racism when we have in our core, they are those people and you don't hang around those people. And if you wanna be part of this family, we don't hang around them. They're different, of course they're different. They came from a different place. And we're meant to be different. As Christians, we're meant to be different. And so this series essentially is all about embracing Kingdom culture. I knew today I was going to be saying some strong things, but I don't want it to be a heavy meeting. I want it to be a meeting that liberates us. I want it to be a meeting that sets us free. Are you with me? And so this morning, the subtitle of my message, yeah, I'm just getting to that, (laughs) is living clean in a dirty world. That's why for me, reading our Bible on a regular basis is so important. That's why coming to church on a regular basis is so important. Because what I know about living in this world, you can't have one shower. I say, yeah, but I showered. Yeah, what, in 1974? (laughs) Mate, you're going to need a few more showers than that. And so how do we live clean in a dirty world? And so let's turn to 1 Peter, the book we have based this series on. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. He says, therefore, with minds that are alert, be fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, in that old culture, in that old way of living. We've adopted a new way of living. Let's embrace it, Peter says. But just as He who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Since you call on the Father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. As Pastor Dan made a great point last week, or whenever it was, two weeks ago, he said that Peter was writing to persecuted Christians. And I know some of you are doing it tough right now, but the kind of persecution that these Christians that Peter was writing to was a whole nother level of persecution, a kind of persecution we don't really fully understand. They were a hated group of people. The political powers that be at that time were accusing them of doing things that they hadn't done, which got them into more trouble. And they were being killed on the spot. They were being uh, lit up as torches and died horrific deaths. And Peter writes into this situation about living as citizens of another country, living as citizens of heaven. And what I love about Peter's writings is this guy, Peter, is the same guy who disowned Jesus. He's the same guy that pulled out the sword and tried to kill one of the servants when Jesus was arrested. Peter has made many mistakes. And not only that, they are recorded in Scripture for all time and eternity. 
And so I wanna encourage you with this thought that making mistakes and not doing it right doesn't disqualify you if you're willing to shift, if we're willing to change, if we're willing to move from where we are to where we need to be. What you'll see through Peter's writings in 1 Peter and 2 Peter is the transition and the shift and the growth and the change in his life from when he first got saved and when he was that disciple with Jesus. Are you with me this morning? And so what we see, Peter writes to this environment and he reminds us of what we are called to. And I wanna highlight three things that Peter highlights that you and I are called to. Because although this was written some 2,000 years ago to Christians, it's still as applicable to us today. And the first thing that we see Peter encouraging the persecuted saints in is that we have been called to stand out and not fit in. Everyone say, stand out. Now, I want you to say that again, but I want your standout to actually stand out. I want you to be louder than the person next to you, okay? Stand out. Better. I like that. I like that. Kind of like that echo over there too. That was awesome. Love the loudness, timing a little bit off, but that's awesome. (laughs) Fantastic. We are called to stand out, not fit in. See, one of the biggest obstacles to following Jesus is our desire to fit in. If we're honest with ourselves, if you're anything like me, one of the biggest obstacles is our desire to fit in. And yet we were called to stand out. We were called to be set apart. We were called to be different. We were called to live by different values and different standards. That's why you'll see Jesus say this many times. You've heard it said this, but I tell you something else. Jesus said that over and over and over again. It's recorded in the Scriptures many times let alone all the times it wasn't recorded. You've heard it said this, but I tell you something quite different. And in Matthew chapter 5, He says, you've heard it said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. Yep, that's what we heard. We are are doing our best to love our enemy, uh, love our neighbours, but gee, we hate our enemies. It's awesome. We're doing really well. But Jesus says, but I tell you, uh uh-oh, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Jesus did a number of things with the Old Testament. Some things He's left the same. Some some things He abolished. And some things He took to another level. And on this occasion, Jesus is taking the Old Testament teaching and taking it to a whole nother level. He said, those who lived under the law were told to love the neighbours and hate their enemy. But Jesus comes along and says, "I, I want you to even love your enemies. And I want you to pray for those who persecute you. It's little wonder the religious people said, who do you think you are? And and this is King Jesus. This is our Lord. This is our Saviour. And He's asking us to do exactly the same. He doesn't want us just to love our neighbours and hate our enemies. Jesus is essentially saying, anyone can do that. We're going to raise the bar. We're going to raise the standard. We're going to be different. We're going to make a difference in the world in which we live. And you know how we're going to do that? Instead of hating our enemies, we're going to love our enemies. No matter what the colour of their skin is, no matter what their nationality, no matter their language, no matter their accents, we're just going to love them. And those who persecute you, this is what we're going to do. We're not going to throw stones, we're actually going to pray for them. This is revolutionary. This is kindness at a whole nother level. This is kindness on steroids. This is, this is crazy teaching from Jesus. 
And it's one that he's not willing to compromise on. It's one he wants us to embrace. It's one he wants us to be a part of. We started a community kitchen in the area of Parra Hills, which is the area that I grew up. And when I grew up in Parra Hills, where our community kitchen is, it used to be a swimming pool, the local swimming pool. That's since gone and now there's this new community hub. And because of God's goodness and cast tenacity, we've managed to start our very first community kitchen and there will be many, many more to come. Watch this space. But it blows my mind at the responses of people because it's not normal, because it's so different. People say, what are you doing? Why would you do that? What do you mean it's free? How come? But why? Who are you? Where did you come from? Why would you do that? When's the last time our values were questioned because they were so different to the people in which God has placed us? We had the incredible privilege of seeing our daughter and new son-in-law get married and, and to know that they kept themselves pure, yeah. that uh, they have said no to sexual intimacy prior to marriage. And, and if you look at both of them, they're not ugly people. It's, it's not like, well, that's obvious, isn't it? <laughs> and I commend them both for that. And again, with no condemnation for those who haven't walked that way. But I know this to be true, that that's different. Yeah. That's not normal. Yeah. And it's a beautiful thing because it models something of who Jesus is, the love and the purity that God has for us is seen in the way we live our lives or not. Yeah. See, we need to live our faith before we can share our faith. Yeah. If you're wondering why your testimony is not hitting the ground or not hitting the mark, We've got to ask ourselves, what's our life saying? Our life must say something before our words say something. Are you with me? So the first thing Peter says is this, you're called to stand out and not fit in. Secondly, he says, you're called to heaven, not here. See, this world is not our home. We are foreigners, Peter says. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. Yes, we are here. We can see it. We can taste it. We're standing on it. It's, it's all around us, but we're not of its value system. Our culture, our belief is different. Are you with me? And so we, we, we live for heaven and not here. We have a job to do here. We have responsibilities. But Peter's saying we're not to be consumed by this life. If you're married, you have a responsibility to look after your husband or your wife. If you have a family, you have a responsibility to look after them. And that means getting a job and, and that means doing your job well. All those things are important, but let's not be consumed by them. This is not advocating laziness and let's not care. And No, no, no. We need to be seen to be doing the right thing because that's what gives us our testimony to speak into people's lives and world. Are you with me? And so what I've found is that when we focus on eternity, two things happen. The first one is it changes our perspective. See, we're only here for a short time. Whether it's 70 years or you get to 100 years or the handful of people that get to be a little bit older than that. At the end of the day, in light of eternity, 110 years is still a blip on the radar. 
And when you understand eternity, it makes sense of sickness. It makes sense of poverty. It makes sense of death. In actual fact, when you take eternity out of the equation, nothing makes sense. But when you put eternity into the mix, it's the only thing that makes sense of all these other things. Because the Bible says that there is coming a day where God will wipe away every tear. There will be no sadness, there'll be no sickness, there'll be no poverty, there'll be no death. And that's what brings perspective to us holding our line. And even if we had a miserable, tough, persecuted 70, 80, 90, 100 years on earth, it would still be worth holding on to our faith because of a eternity, because of an eternity with Him. Do you believe that? This is what Paul was, Peter was using to motivate the persecuted church. Don't you give up. Don't you give in. Hold on, hold your line. And it brings perspective. Secondly, it's what changes our priorities. Eternity brings perspective and it also changes our priorities. It changes where we invest. You know, if you're renting a property, I hope and trust that you are looking after it. I hope and trust that you are being a good tenant. But one thing I know you aren't doing and nor should you is investing into that property that you do not own. You wouldn't be buying new carpets for that place. You wouldn't be buying new ovens for that place. You wouldn't replace the kitchen top. Why? Because it's not yours. It's not your home. You're just renting. You're just passing through. But when it's your home, you put in the new carpet. When it's your home, you do up the kitchen. My good friend Fiona's sitting there on the second row and I know she's just been in a little upgrade of her home. She was renting prior to that. She just lived there. But when she went back home, she spent some money and invested on her home. How much of our investment is in our home? Can I remind you, heaven is our home. How much of our investing is just here for this temporal, non-existent world in which we live, not non-existent, but non-eternal world in which we live. Heaven is our home. And so when we give, when we serve, when we do random acts of kindness, when we forgive, when we say sorry, when we model the kingdom culture here on earth, it's investing, it's investing. I could have done this but I choose not to because my eye is on something bigger. My eye is on something better. You know, when you're saving for a home while you're renting, you can spend that money on other things. But but what's 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 the motivation for keep saving? Not because you have to. Not because you must, but because of a desire for home but for a desire for your own home, your own house, that you can carpet, that you can have the kitchen you want. And so it is with us. We've got to understand God is not the party pooper in heaven that just, you have to do the right thing. No, we're motivated by this place called heaven. We're motivated by eternity. And so we're not going to do that. Or alternatively, we are going to embrace this. Not because we have to, but because we want to. Because we realise this isn't our home. 
we're just foreigners. We're just sojourners. We're just passing through. I might be here 70 years. I might get to 100. I may break the record for the world's oldest person. But it's still a blip. It's still a blip. And I don't think that blip is worth investing to the point of losing my home. Are you with me? And thirdly, Peter says this, you are called to be holy, not happy. Got a little note here. Say that with a smile on your face. (laughs) You're called to be holy, not happy. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. (laughs) Love that. Never gets old. The reality is, Some of you are clapping because you've got something to be happy about. But not everyone can clap because they're not all happy. Why? Because happiness has to do with what's happening in your life. And if something is happening in your life that is good, you might just be happy. But if something's happening in your life that doesn't make you happy, I'm not clapping. And... That's the reality of happiness. It's based on what is happening to you. And I want to say to you, don't allow happiness to rob you of what is best. Because happiness was never meant, nor was it intended to be the goal. When you make it the goal, it empowers personal justification. When you make happiness your goal, it will empower you for personal justification. And you'll do whatever you have to do to make you happy. And so if you're not happy in your marriage, you just leave because you're empowered by being happy. Now again, some of you have experienced horrific abuse within marriage and you needed to get out. And I'm not here to make you feel bad nor condemned about that. But when we make happy the goal, it's just too easy to opt out from things that are important to God. And so again, this is not about judging us from our past. It's about having a healthy, whole future. But when you make happiness your goal, you just say, I'm out of here. If you make happiness the goal and you desperately want something, you know you can't afford, you'll do whatever you can to make sure you get it anyway. Even if it means going into crippling debt. And many people do that. We're coming up to the Christmas season or as I like to call it, the silly season. And people are gonna spend money they don't have on people they don't like. (laughs) And get into crippling debt. And come January, February, they're gonna be paying a price that they didn't have to pray if they didn't make happiness the goal. If you make happiness the goal and you're a young person who's not married, but you found a nice person you want to be with and spend the rest of your life with, you start justifying, hey, God knows we love each other and I don't need to wait for marriage to sleep together. And so we justify our own actions when we make happiness the goal. But Peter says, God never called us to be happy. Although I love it when we have moments where we experience happiness. I'm not against it. 
This is not a message, be miserable. This is just don't make happiness the goal. Peter said, be holy as He is holy. Let holiness be our goal. And the word holiness is simply a word that means be set apart. Do things differently as we've already touched on this morning. The Holy Spirit is holy. That's why He's called Holy Spirit. He's not called Happy Spirit. We've reduced the Holy Spirit to happy spirit. Come down the front, make me happy. Now that can happen and does happen. I've seen it, but it's much deeper than that. The goal of holiness is that we become like Jesus. The role of the Holy Spirit is to make us more like Christ. When we invite the Holy Spirit into our world, into our life, He points us to Jesus. He says, hey, don't do that, don't do that. Remember what Jesus, and He's always reminding us what Jesus did. He's reminding us what Jesus said, that we might become more like Him. And the Holy Spirit wants to remind us of that so that we might become holy. And, and He knows how hard that is. That's why He wants to help you. One of the names the Holy Spirit goes by is the helper. He not only wants to point you in the right direction, He wants you to help you to do it. So the Holy Spirit wants to come into our hearts and into our lives and say, hey, look, remember when Jesus was on the cross and He said, forgive them? You want to be like, Jesus, you've got to forgive. And I know that's really hard, so I'm going to help you to do that. And as, we, as I help you through this, guess what? At the end of this, you're going to be more like Jesus. This is what holiness is. God is not an old man who's cranky and just hates fun. He loves you and He wants the best for you. Are you with me? Peter goes on in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. As the band come up, that'd be great. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, who, who, who desires those things? Long life and good days. Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. This is Peter, the guy who let Jesus down many times. You can see the growth. You can see the transition. You can see the change. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and His ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteous sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honour Christ, the Lord, as holy. Do you know there's two ways you can get in trouble as a Christian? The first way is doing what is wrong. Doing what is wrong gets you in trouble with God, not the world. The other way we get in trouble with being a Christian is when we do what is right. And doing what is right gets you in trouble with the world, but not God. So you've got a choice. I'm going to get in trouble if I do the right thing. I'm going to get in trouble with if I do the wrong thing. The question is, who do you get in trouble with? Are you with me? I never forget many years ago, it was actually on the 16th anniversary of this church. I was up here preaching. And for whatever reason, I had this message that I entitled, God I love, but people I can't stand. I thought it was a pretty catchy title that most people could relate to. 
And judging by the giggles, I hear the amen. <laughs> and because of the giggles and because of the connection and because of the mood I was in, it was our 16th anniversary, I was in celebration mode. I let my guard down and I said, well, actual fact, if you like that title, do you know what? Do you want to know what I was really going to call my message? And everyone went, yeah. And because I wanted to be right with the people, I said, well, I was going to call it God I love, but people give me. I'm not going to fall for it twice. I'm not going to, I'm not going to I know you want me to say it, but I've learned my lesson. I've learned. I'm not going to be right with you and wrong with God today. But on that day, I went with it. And I just said a full-blown word I should not have said from here. And as I'm preaching, I'm hearing Holy Spirit say, uh-uh, uh-uh, we need to talk. And I'm like, Holy Spirit, do you mind I'm preaching? <laughs> and so I managed to get through my preach, did an okay job, I think. And I'm still feeling this, uh-uh, we need to talk. And so I decided to do something I wouldn't normally do on a Sunday afternoon, ring everyone I could as a pastoral visit to care for people. And people were shocked as I'm ringing them. What are you ringing me for? Oh, I just want you to know I love you. It's amazing what you can say and do to get out of what God is asking you to actually do. And so I'm doing all this pastoral stuff. I'm doing all this Christian stuff. And on the surface of things, like, wow, super pastor. Preaching in the morning, making all these pastoral calls this afternoon, uh, in the afternoon, then preaching again at night. Wow. But I promise you, there wasn't love or care in my heart for any of you that I rang. If you got a call from me that day, love you, but that wasn't what I was doing that day. Do you know what I was doing? I was hiding behind the care. I was hiding behind the phone call because I just didn't want to talk to Holy Spirit that day because I knew what He was going to say. I knew I was in trouble. Oh, the people, they loved me. I was so funny, got lots of laughs. I got lots of endorsements, which probably a reflection on the church that I lead. Some people said, oh, Pastor Tony, you should have actually used that title. Oh yeah, you think? And so I know what it is to be out of sorts with God. And so then I preach at night, I do my thing. God's kind, God's gracious, because He's patient too. And I think people even got saved that night. God's incredibly gracious. Doesn't mean you're right with Him. God loves the people. I'll use you to bless them, but we're still going to talk. Is this the God you've come to know over the years? And so I get to bed and now I know I'm in for it. So... I hear these words and I've never heard the audible voice of God, please. But I, I know the voice of God. My wife doesn't have to always speak to me to know what she's thinking. She can look at me. And on that night, I know I'm in trouble. I didn't say God hated me. I said He loved me enough to talk. See, most of us just keep running. And I, to my shame, I ran for about 12 hours. But at night, I just like this, Holy Spirit, I am 
I'm so, and I just sobbed. I sobbed. Because I said one word that I shouldn't have, that was applauded by you. You make it any easier for me. I was right in front of the people, but wrong with God. And God's saying, I, I, I want you to be right with me. And being right with me may, may make you wrong with the crowd. When you feel that pressure as a young virgin, just to give in, hand over your purity. It's better to be right with God and wrong with the world than to be right with the world and wrong with God. And so when it comes to these two areas, there's also a couple of responses when you do get in trouble. And the first response is to give your heart to the world. And when we give our heart to the world, we find our heart is troubled and we lose peace. And that's why the Bible says, don't let your heart be troubled. How do you not let your heart be troubled? Don't give your heart to the wrong people. Which brings me to my second response, and that is to give your heart to Jesus. Peter says, honour Jesus in your heart, for He is holy. He's holy. I know about you, church. This world is too broken and too hurting for us just to keep doing what we've always done. I love this. I love this. That's not going to change. But we've got to go deeper. We're on a journey as a church to take our discipleship to a whole nother level. We've given ourselves a two, three, four year window to unpack what is true discipleship. And this is not a Vision Sunday meeting, so I'm not here to talk about what we're going to do into the future, but there will be some changes in order to make sure that our discipleship lands, that we can be the holy, joyful, helpful people that we're always destined to be. But we've just been spending a lot of our time, effort and energy just trying to blend in trying to fit in. So will you stand with me this morning? I'm going to ask the team just to lead us in song. Maybe if we can just go back into that song we ended the service, worship time with. But let me just close with this thought. Because I know how people think. And because of that, I want to say this. This message is not talking about behaviour modification. We are talking about spiritual transformation. Living holy is not a pathway to knowing Jesus. You can't live holy and get to know Jesus. That would be to assume that you can be good enough. You can't. So I'm going to say that again. Living holy is not a pathway to knowing Jesus. It's knowing Jesus that is a pathway to living holy. How do we deal with the struggles? How do we deal with the things that we just find ourselves unable to do in our own strength? Yeah, we're talking to the right people. Here's the answer, get to know Him. 
get to know Him. Now all of a sudden it brings meaning to why we're in church. It brings meaning to why we read our Bible because I want to know Jesus because I want to be holy, but I'm not holy enough. I can't do holy in my own strength. I can't do holy in my own way. I need Jesus. I need to know Him more. The desire of our heart should be that uh, we know Him more. Paul's prayer for the church was that our eyes would be opened in order that we might know Him better. And maybe this morning there are some here, you don't know Him at all. Well, you're in a good place because we're gonna create a moment for you to get to know Him. But maybe some of you like me have been in church for many, many years. Well, you're not done. And I know you're not done because you're not dead. We have an opportunity to get to know Him better. There's no retirement in the Kingdom. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We trust that you're encouraged by this powerful message. You always have a place to call home here at Life and we invite you to join us for our Sunday services at our Adelaide campus. If you'd like to know more about Life, then visit our website at lifeadelaide.org or download the Life Adelaide app and stay connected.